Hi, and welcome to the Unlocking Customer Service Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Richmond. I'm here every week talking with guests who can help you realize the full potential of your contact center and customer service team to keep growing your business. Oh, and you can do all of that while still prioritizing your people. In fact, that's the secret to it all. Let's chat with our next guest. Uh, So today we're sitting down with Justin Robbins, Chief Evangelist of the CX Effect, to learn the business risks of sticking to good enough customer experiences. Uh, So Justin, can you give us a background of your experience and your history? You know, what have you seen in the industry? What brings you here today? Oh my gosh, Meg, I don't know many short stories that begin with over 20 years ago, but I'll, I'll try my best. Uh, I actually got started in this type of work uh, when I was 12 years old. I was a newspaper carrier. My boss one day asked, do you want to earn some extra money? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm a 12-year-old kid. Of course, I want to earn some extra money. What do I have to do? She said, show up to the newspaper. We'll explain things from there. I remember walking in that very first night, and there were just rows and rows of telephones and these just stacks of dot matrix printer paper. And what I found out is on that paper was the name, address, and phone number of everybody in our hometown. And so they had a bunch of, you know, preteens and teens interrupting dinner time selling newspaper subscriptions. So I often joke I was a 12-year-old call center agent. <laughs> but but just and it's been, I, honestly, it was one of those those things where never designed um, this career path, but kind of grew through the ranks in both contact center and customer experience types of roles in, in hotels and uh, retail operation, things along those lines. And in 2007, found myself working in Hershey, Pennsylvania, sweetest place on earth. Uh, my role at Hershey was leading training and guest experience for the 1-800-HERSHEY contact center. Spent five years there. That was really for me the moment where I knew that I was in love with this type of work. Um, I really became a student of understanding process and metrics and how do we define and measure success, right? All of those types of things just got really passionate about it, which, um, I've, I've, it feels so natural to me, but I've learned, you know, to find people who are like genuinely just jazzed up about call centers. Apparently it's not normally a really sexy topic. Go figure. <laughs> I beg to differ. I feel like that's the whole point of this podcast. It's like, I... you should be paying attention to it, right? Yes, yes, all of the yes. So, <laughs> so, so after five years at Hershey, uh, I had a cool opportunity to to run the the training and consulting teams for business called ICMI. Uh, and while I was at ICMI, you know, worked on those programs. Eventually, ran research for them, content, a number of things. Just continuing this theme of how can I be a student of customer experience? How can I really understand what's happening? How people are responding or not responding? Was there another five years? Uh, then spent uh, about about three years in-house at technology companies. Uh, there was this moment in time for me, Meg, where I just realized I, I'd run these teams, I'd provided consulting and training for these teams, but I never really got inside the companies that provide the tools for them. And, and I wanted to understand how do technology companies think? How do they understand the problems? How do they design solutions? Um, so got to do that for a little bit of time before you know, frankly, realizing about a year ago that I really like being technology agnostic. Uh, I love my friends at technology companies, but it's just not how I'm wired, right? I'm wired as uh, a teacher. I'm wired as a student. And so for me, it's been about observing all of it and figuring out what's right for each person because there's not one thing that's right for everybody, right? That's reality. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that's, that's really what brought me to CX effect. That's what drives my work today. You know, in, in my role for our business, I lead our, our, our education and then everything we're doing from a marketing effort as well. And, you know, the shortest version of what do I see uh, us at CX Effect doing is really providing a platform where uh, business leaders and our advisors can get connected to reimagine and transform their customer experiences. That's that's what this is about for us. It's it's a line of work that requires all of us to you know be expert in the art of what's possible, um, but it's complicated, it's confusing, and so whatever we can do to make that easier for people and to provide guides along the way. That's, that's what we focus on every single day. Are you seeing an increase of, of people reaching out for these kind of services? Like with the big shift in businesses, how a lot of people are going remote, is there a, is there a trend of everybody needs help with this right now? Are you seeing a lot of people making changes? Yes. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of people making changes right now and it's been driven by a number of factors. Um, there's the played out track of, pandemic forced people to, you know, rethink to, you know, deploy things. Now that we're, you know, year plus past some of that, it's really a matter of what's sustainable long term, how how has our strategy now over the next 12, 18 months, um, really started to play out? What do we see to, to help take us to the next level? There's certainly decisions around that. Uh, the, the pace of, uh, uptake in cloud in particular, you know, the, the last year did force people's hands in terms of what they were doing on prem. So that's important, but to me, the really exciting part and the thing where I get like, just frankly giddy as a, as, even as a researcher is it's really become about how do we better, uh, capture, understand and act on data. That to me is the biggest, um, focus point for a lot of businesses. If it's not about you know, how do we address scale? How do we drive efficiency? It's, it's really, how do we get better with our data? Uh, because that, that is the key to unlocking what we need to do next. So that's, that to me has been maybe one of the biggest things that I'm seeing from businesses right now. We've heard that theme too, through a lot of, uh, of our other podcast episodes is that, uh, the data is there. It's just, how do we, how do we get to it? How do we surface data that's meaningful to both our agents and our customers? Yeah, Meg, I, I often um, tell people that the, the number one reason why businesses don't use data, right? The number one reason is that uh, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's that they don't know how to get to it, right? That's, that's the number one. It exists somewhere, but they don't know how to get to it uh, or they don't mm -hmm. have access to get to it. Number two for me often becomes they have, now that they get access to it, it is overwhelming and figuring out how to make sense of it, where to act on first. That is a task all into itself. And then the, the third, which is probably equally important is having access and being able to understand what to act on is to have stakeholder alignment and buy and actually drive change as a result of what you know, right? It's not just, Hey, I understand that our customers are frustrated at this problem and this is a potential solution but who's responsible for implementing or creating that solution? And, you know, are they willing to get on board with actually driving that change? Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess, what are some of these, these changes you see are, where are people putting their, putting their dollars, putting their time in right now? Honestly, it's, it's incredibly varied by business and it goes back to a, a couple of things. Number one is what is the strategic priority for that company right now? Uh, in terms of 
is it getting new customers, right? And if it's a matter of getting new customers, then the the places that they're trying to, you know, get really good insight are the kind of the biggest moments of truth on why someone is or isn't a customer. Um, you know, I think of a good friend of mine does a lot of work right now around this idea of not purchase intent, but purchase reality, right? It's not a matter of if someone says why they would or wouldn't buy something, but why do they ultimately buy something or not? Mm -hmm. So, right, that, that's an example of one. Uh, I look at businesses who are trying to drive cost out of their business, not from a, a sake of we want to let people go, but they've reached the the realization that there are a lot of tasks and a lot of work that people are manually doing today that are a suck of time. They're a suck of engagement. And frankly, they cost the business a lot of money to do things that aren't worth the cost right now. Uh, so using intelligence to figure out what are those types of things, right? That's that's another common example. I think the the third one that comes to mind is for the businesses that really look at customer experience as uh, something that is beyond the contact center or something beyond marketing, but is really the sum of every interaction a customer has with a brand and how they feel about those interactions. That to me is the most exciting and the most challenging bit of thing to uncover with data right now is what does it really look like to understand the sum of every interaction a customer has with a, a brand and beyond understanding all of those interactions, understanding how they feel and what that's caused a customer to do or not to do. You could probably spend every day of the rest of your career helping businesses uncover that and <laughs> not run out yeah. of work to do, right? That's, that's, that's the big, that's the big challenge. I think, that most businesses haven't started to address yet today. And it's independent of, of scale, of the size of the business, whether you have you know, a 10 agent call center or a thousand agent call center, you're still uh, needing to look at data the same way. Absolutely, and, and it's this you know, crazy combination of structured and unstructured where let's, let's imagine, Meg, that you and I had an interaction with a brand. Um, we might talk about that brand in a way that they can track and measure and understand. But if you and I interact with the brand in the midst of an epic cross country road trip, and we have a conversation about that brand in the car, how does that information eventually manifest itself? Because it, it, that conversation causes us to do something, but it might not be, you know, put text that an analytics engine can easily crawl, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when we talk about these, customer experiences from, I guess, from a brand perspective, um, when when you talk about brand loyalty and things like that, a, a lot of uh, executives will tie that to a dollar amount and try to get either cost savings or cost spend money in the contact center. So I guess, have you seen any trends in people uh, ramping up their spend, uh, investing in any sort of technologies to try to get that brand loyalty? Brand brand loyalty is a fickle and uh, fle fleeting piece of measurement. I think for for us to go after, there's so many drivers of loyalty that we we can't necessarily even affect all of the time, uh, and and we can look at trying to capture greater share of wallet. We can look at trying to drive customer lifetime value. We can look at trying to drive uh, increased referral rates. I think all of those are really really good things. I actually believe that the key for businesses to deliver greater customer experiences and to see a greater return on it is to focus on some things that are are much more simple, 
than even some of that stuff. When, when I look at the common reasons why customers end up kind of becoming detractors of a brand or, you know, up, up to go elsewhere, it's really basic blocking and tackling stuff, right? It's, it's information about an order that was wrong and seems to fall into a black hole. It's about making it unnecessarily complicated. It's about an agent who gave uh, bad information and, you know, showed no kind of emotional intelligence whatsoever towards how that caused the customer to respond. That's why I go back to what are the technology investments that I, I see companies making that I believe that, that that companies should be making right now. It get back gets back to that point of um, really understanding those interactions that customers are having and, and how they feel about every single one of those. Because what they're going to find out is your customers, they're not going to be more loyal because you've deployed the world's uh, most amazing chatbot. They're going to be more loyal because you've made it easy for them to do business with you. Mm -hmm. they're, they're going to be more loyal because they can count on you to do what you say and say what you do. It's not the exciting, um, you know, headline grabbing thing that, that people want to hear, but the places where most people fall short on delivering great experiences is not investing in getting the little things right consistently. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you have any examples of that? Like where it, where it fails, where it falls short? Yeah. So there, there was a, a, a report that I've been working on um, recently and, and is actually going to be uh, coming out. And, and honestly, by the time this podcast goes live, it might actually be uh, in the market. And it, it looks about uh, the cost of complacency. So it's, it's really asking this question, you know, why do businesses do or not not do something? And the example of when it falls short is when they're making the decision solely based off of cost drivers, right? It's decisions based off of the things that easily show up on a spreadsheet and mm -hmm. are easy to manage. And I, I actually remember, and, and I start this report reflecting back on a conversation I had with my boss one time where we knew that our agents were frustrated with how complex the system was. Uh, we knew that that customers weren't actually satisfied, right? We knew all of these things were falling short. And, and I tried to make the case for investment. And, you know, my leader at the time said, look, our executives are okay with how things are. And as long as that's the case, um, they're, they're not going to change. And there were all of these things that, that weren't well quantified or that mm -hmm. we didn't actually, we didn't know what we didn't know type of a, a thing. And that's, that's where I see a lot of businesses fall short. They don't realize the strategic value that their contact center can be providing to their business. They just think about how much cost does it require for each contact that we happen to handle, not thinking about how is this complicated system frustrating my agents and causing them to look for another job or right. How many customers are we losing because self-service isn't intuitive and, mm -hmm. and they can do those types of things. So again, pin, pin, pinpointing, where does it fall short on one example? To, to me, there's, there's lots of examples that are driven by the common denominator of a focus on the value of the contact center is driving costs out of the business. That is, that is the most basic one-on-one way that contact centers can serve a company, but that is not the real value. That's not why businesses uh, should or should not invest. They should be looking at how do they drive strategic value? How does the contact center now have the ability to say, hey, the reason we don't have more customers is because the packaging on our product is misleading, right? Mm -hmm. That's the type of insight that, that I think is really valuable. 
And uh, like you mentioned too, when people are frustrated on both sides of the conversation, then nothing's getting done and nothing's getting better. So if the agents don't have the tools they need, then then anybody who calls in is going to have the same experience. Absolutely, and and it's it's not even just about the the scale of of customers having the same experience. Um, there's a so so I know people can't see this right now, so I'll paint the picture of my office. Um, on on the wall over my my one shoulder right now is a it's a front page of a New York Times um, article, and this was from a piece of research that I did a couple years ago. And what we found out is that over three quarters of business leaders recognized that there was something broken in a process or technology that prevented them from providing a great customer experience. They knew that that it existed, but there wasn't anything actively being done to address it. Right. That same piece of research found that uh, outside of a, a, a crappy boss, the number one reason why contact center agents want to leave their job is because of ineffective tools and resources. So this this is when I think about the cost of complacency. I can run models on how many customers might have a similar issue and what might that do to referrals or what might that do to, to churn or right all of those things. Uh, I don't see businesses running the model on saying, in the last year, how many employees did we have that left? What decrease in productivity we did we have of our workforce? Because in the back of their mind, they're thinking, Meg, my boss hates me and doesn't actually want to give me the tools I need to do my job. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that's actually eroding CX in our business, but nobody's talking about it and nobody's measuring it. Mm-hmm. I guess, how how do we even start to look at uh, agent satisfaction? How do we make sure that our agents have what they need? This is, it seems like a it's a huge deal, but it's also feels a little bit insurmountable. How do we, how do we start that conversation with them? Uh, so, so I think it comes down to maybe two or three really, really important things. Uh, number one is about consistency. It's, it's about, you know, uh, setting some sort of pattern of behavior. It's not the once a year company survey that goes out. It's not the exit interview. It's what is the daily, the weekly, the monthly, right? There's different types of touch points that I'm having with with my employees to understand what is working and what is not working. What would they change? What would they add? What would they take away? Again, basic stuff like, what would it look like to do a daily start, stop, continue with every single one of your contact center agents, right? Hey, based off of what you heard from customers today, what are some things that you would think recommend that we start doing as a business? What should we stop doing? What should we keep doing? Right? Little things like that. So number one is about creating those, those consistent patterns of collecting data. Uh, number, number two comes down to actually being transparent about what you're doing with it. Right. How often do we take data, but then either not act on it or not share results? I remember probably three or so years ago, Meg, I had a, a consulting client. I was in house and they said, Justin, uh, we rearranged our office based off of agent feedback. And now that we've done it, we had a ton of agents who are so frustrated, don't understand why we would do this, whatever. I said, do they know that the change was based off of their feedback? Oh, no, no, they don't. <laughs> right. In the agent's mind, even though they got what they asked for, the the perception was that leadership was just making all of these changes mm-hmm. without right it's, they're not sharing what is or isn't being done so number one's again about the pattern of getting the information number two is about uh transparency in how you're using it 
And, and the third part to me comes around building trust and, and vulnerability, right? And that's acknowledging when you get it right and when you get it wrong. Mm-hmm. That, that to me is part of the key to how do we unlock this? That's how we get the conversation with our agents to find out, hey, uh, Meg, you know what? If I'm being honest, a- ABC system makes my life a nightmare. It, it takes so much more time than it should. Uh, the reason we're not hearing that if we're not hearing it today is either because we haven't asked a question or our agents don't trust us to, to, to act on the information with integrity, right? Mm-hmm. If we really get to the root of it, it's one of two things we haven't asked or they don't trust us if they, they give us the insight. That's where we focus on. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, you know, that's a, that's a great, uh, way to talk about it too, where it's like, we, we, we're getting the data, we're gathering the data, but we're doing it through management, through conversations. But Let's, let's imagine, Meg, for a moment, even if I was a contact center of 20 agents or 200 agents or 2,000 agents, who, who's having that conversation with those employees? What does the rest of their day-to-day look like? And, and how, much, how much opportunity is there actually for this conversation? Have we made that a priority? Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from Maya Angelou, and it says, people will judge you by your actions, not your intentions. You may have a heart of gold, but so does a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> Meg, there are a ton, a ton. Most business leaders are incredibly well-intentioned. The reality of the day-to-day causes their actions to be often divergent from their intentions. Mm-hmm. So this is this is what it comes down to. When, when I said earlier that it's basic stuff, I wasn't kidding. But it, it does come down to what is most important, what wins in the moment. And for most of us, whether it's because our forecasts are wrong, because we don't have the right tools to automate earlier, like I said, right? We're spending mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of time on things that probably aren't the best use of it uh, of our time. Mm-hmm. Until we reconcile how we approach real time management, until we reconcile how we approach reporting, how we how we approach time spent and priorities. All of this stuff that is uh, important but not urgent falls by the wayside. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's, I mean, that in of itself is a risk to just get mired in it, isn't it? Like it's its easy to feel overwhelmed. Yeah, and I think if, if you were to sit down and, and talk to uh, leaders who are doing this day in and day out, that's the adjective that they would probably use, or at least one of them. I think about my time running contact centers and, and even the best managed contact centers that I was a part of, there were still elements where you feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, managers, agents, C-suite, where, where do we start? So, so it depends on, on who, who you are. Um, if, if you are an executive leader and you sit on the C staff or you have incredible influence across parts of the business, um, it is, it is best started with you, uh, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's easy then to lead that change through the organization. It is infinitely more frustrating to be a contact center manager or a director of CX who isn't just trying to lead your team, but is also trying to manage up in terms of what should be the priority within the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, go, going back to the the report that we've been doing on. So, so as part of that, I, I kind of sat down and, and interviewed a bunch of um, people that I knew in the industry who are customer experience leaders, who 
are, you know, kind of having these types of conversations and, and have had to kind of addressing and get ownership. And, and there was, there was one kind of piece of advice in particular that's, that's in the report and uh, I'm even going to pull it up here. So, so I know I get it right. Uh, but, but one of the gentlemen that, that I spoke to talked about the importance of understanding if you're not the, you know, the CEO or you're not the the head of whatever, um, that, that there are a couple things that you can do to uh, get by and to improve customer experience, right? To, to mm -hmm. be able to get the time to focus on what's most important, to not get mired in, in some of those things. Uh, number one thing that, that he had mentioned is to, to actually understand and show how CX or how the work that you're doing is impacting company level KPIs in your mission. Right. I, I would bet that you spending three hours a day looking through some report uh, probably isn't going to be able to have a like a demonstrable like impact mm -hmm. on company level KPIs. But if you can show how by sitting down with 12 agents, you uncovered the number one driver of customer dissatisfaction that week and, you know, your brand, you know, mission or KPIs to have, you know, massively loyal customers or whatever it would be. Now you've got a direct tie. And now my conversation, right. With my boss to say, Hey Meg, uh, I did something different this week, right? I normally spend three hours in this report that, you know, you've actually asked me to do every week, but you've never actually shared with me what's being done. I've never seen results out of it. Um, I didn't ask permission, but I, I didn't spend that the three hours on that report this week. Instead, I spent that three hours having having conversations with 12 different agents. Here's here's what I've learned that I didn't know. Did, did you know this? Here's here's why I think it would make a difference. Here's why it matters. Right. And and some of those things to, you know, take some some calculated risks right on mm -hmm. diverting your own time. If if you're right, you've got to make that choice. Uh, I, I think um, when it comes to making the case for. Hey, Meg, I think we should invest in something. I've noticed that I'm spending a lot of time on this, this meaningless stuff. I'd love to spend more time on coaching. Um, be super clear about the problem that that investment would solve. Hey, I spend eight hours a week doing this. You pay me this much an hour. You're paying me this much a year. The company is spending on me doing this report. Is this really best, right? Or I think we could actually not only save time here, which would enable me to focus on this thing, but as a result of deploying that, we would actually be able to scale up the amount of intelligence that we had or the amount of time we spent on this or how 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 much faster we could act on it, right? Those types of things. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the last part is being really good at understanding how a change that we want to make, whether it's in how we spend our time, how we do whatever, again, really clear on how investing in, me being able to spend more time or investing in a tool would solve past, present, or current customer pain points, right? If we know the number one thing customers are frustrated with this, what would it look like? I, I think of a buddy of mine who, who ran technical support for a drone company. And the question they went to solve is what was the number one reason why people call the, the drone company and what would it look like for them to uh, significantly reduce or completely eliminate that number one thing. And so that's what they went after and, mm -hmm. and they did it right. It's having that type of vision. That's, that's how we get started. We just pick one thing. I know mm -hmm. I gave you a couple examples, but <laughs> just pick one and go after it. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it, it's, I don't want to say easy, but it's, uh, the, the way you find these things are by talking to your agents, by having these conversations, understanding what people need out of your contact center, by just hearing from the people on the front lines.
Correct. And, and not trying to boil the ocean, just pick one. And I'm not, there's not a secret formula to say, do this, and this will give you the greatest priority or the most profound or the most impactful. You are still an expert on your business, right? You may feel overwhelmed and frustrated and like, you're not making a difference, but you are right. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways that you can make a difference is to listen to what your agents are saying and then make a decision about which one you want to go after first, right? There's always mm -hmm. going to be opportunity to go after more problems, but find a way to choose something, make it a priority. And it's not solving it all right now. It's solving mm -hmm. one, one thing, start with one thing. And I guess like with that one thing, uh, if you empower your agents to be able to solve that immediately, uh, I guess what, what kind of effect does that have on an agent when they get the data and the tools they need to help customers quickly and easily? It's gotta be just, really impactful on them and that that makes a you know reverberation throughout the system when the agents have what they need to do their job well yeah in that same piece of research um where i found about the inefficient tools i talked to probably close to two thousand contact center agents and the number one thing when i said talk to me about like what's the what's the number one thing the number one driver that you have in in finding meaning in your work and it's getting to help people right? That's, that's mm -hmm. what they want to do. So when we make that stupid easy for them to help people, uh, yeah, a lot of things happen, right? One, they're more satisfied in the, a, their ability to provide value to that customer, but also in the environment that they're working within, they feel like they've actually been set up for success, right? Mm -hmm. Versus, the, the nature of why most customers call most businesses isn't because something's gone right. That's, that's reality. It's because something's mm -hmm. gone wrong. Yeah. So if you take a customer where something's gone wrong and now you've set an agent up to fail, right. To not give them the tools. That's a no, that's like, duh. We know, mm -hmm. we know how this movie ends, but we do it every day. Right. The reality is we do that every day. Mm -hmm. uh, so from an agent standpoint, what will you see? You will see that in their engagement goes up. Their satisfaction with the work that they do is going to go up. They might be more likely to actually refriend people, refer people that they know to come work there. You'll see that they'll actually have be more efficient in the interactions because it's not frustration and delay and complication. Um, there's, there's massive wins on productivity and, and engagement, right? There's, you're probably going to see in every one of your key indicators, there's going to be some sort of tick up and to the right. Mm -hmm. So really just the listening to agents about how do we solve your problems to solve our customers' problems seems like a, a, a good way to surface what you need and not get overwhelmed by that stream of data. Yeah. And, and you know, what, what makes it even better is, Hey, Hey Meg, you know, that problem that you have to solve every single day that you're like, this is a really easy problem. I get frustrated, not because I'm helping the customer, but because they either could help themselves or right. There's, there's gotta be a better way than me being the one to do this. They actually are going to be even more engaged when you say, Hey Meg, you no longer have to deal with that type of, of problem. You actually get more complicated, more nuanced ones. You actually get to uh, specialize in serving our customers, right? Rather than feeling like you're a drone who's just on repeat. Mm -hmm. And I guess to that end too, something we haven't really touched on is uh, agent turnover and attrition and just the cost of that as, as part of a contact center. And when you lose your trained agents, what happens? <laughs> uh, so 
you know, we, we think about, um, we think about the cost of, of turnover in a couple of ways. Number one is the, the pure cost of having to, uh, recruit on board, you know, fully train, uh, someone that's, that's a hard cost that we can actually, you know, see the dollars on, uh, we think about what, what is the, um, the lost, uh, knowledge expertise. If that's somebody who was there for 10 years, what, what's the tribal knowledge that, uh, wasn't documented that we may never get back and we may never mm -hmm. be able to actually quantify the impact of it. Uh, what, what's, if that person was there for even two years, there's a time to proficiency. So what about the six months, um, where you're not as proficient and as a result of you not being as proficient, it takes you a little bit longer. You don't handle as many interactions. Uh, now I've got impacts to my forecast. I've got impacts to the occupancy level of the rest of my team, right? Which could be cause if, if I have, you know, if I'm a 20 person contact center, five people mm -hmm. quit, frankly, if I'm a 20 person contact center and two people quit, yeah, what that does to forecast accuracy to, to the entire team is, is it's, it's, it's an exponential problem, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's, that's it. So you know, how do we measure the impact? What does that do? It's not just about finding a replacement for that. It's, it's all of the downhill effects to customers, to the rest of the team, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody, everybody involved. Yeah. And so I guess, uh, as, as we wrap up, how, how do you, how do you propose, uh, somebody who's in a position to say we're talking about, I think a lot of the things we've talked about in our other episodes of our podcast are these contact center managers who are trying to make life better for their agents, but also help management. So the people who are in the middle, what are some tips, tricks, advice you'd give for, for these people who are just trying to, to make it work from both sides? <laughs> uh, Keep fighting the good fight is probably mm -hmm. where, where I go first. Um, to me, Meg, there's, there's two, two things that I would focus on. And if you focus on these things that are within your control, um, and you get these right, that's, that's, that's it. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, number one for me, I'll, I'll start, not that these are in a, any particular order, but the first one I'd mention is, um, Understand your direct leader, the person that you you report to every single day. Um, be super clear on what their boss expects of them, right? And and I would one of my favorite questions when whether it was an interview, whether it was my annual review with my boss, uh, I would ask them the question of what can I do this year to help you get a promotion. Right. That's, that's what I mm -hmm. wanted to understand. What could I do to serve my leader to make them be the hero for their leader? Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's number one. So if you're in the middle, really understand what, what your leader needs and, and think through how you can best serve, enable them to be successful. Right. Cause they, when it comes to an ally for driving change, for getting buy-in, for getting an investment, right. That is the best person to have on your side. Mm -hmm. right? That person. Then the second is, is to, to be that person for every single one of your direct reports, uh, be super clear in guiding them on how, what they do is meaningful, uh, how it actually makes a difference, how they are not just, uh, uh, one in a sea of many, 
right? But how they very specifically play an important role. Be super clear about setting priorities and goals for them, right? And then show up, be consistent in providing that feedback in listening to them and being a sound soundboard, because in the same way that you need your boss to be your biggest ally, what they want from you more than anything is to, to not know that they have a friend, right? This isn't about mm -hmm. being their friend, right? It's about being, being their, being their ally. It's about being, being someone who they know they can come and be their worst self with in terms of like, I know I screwed up this customer interaction, but I don't know how I can make it right. I, I'm going to be vulnerable. Help me understand how I can make it right. When you can get to have those types of conversations at a professional level, that's, that's what you're doing. Right. So that's, that's mm -hmm. for me. If I only had to focus on two things, if I had two tips, it's go, go to work on those two things. And if you go to work on those two things, you're, you're going to be in a good spot. Mm -hmm. So empower your agents and then help your leadership feel empowered in their choices. Correct. And can you tell us a little bit about where uh, people can find your report? Yeah, of course, Meg. We'll have it available on cxeffect.com. Uh, is probably the quickest and easiest way to to just go ahead and grab that report. Um, but if people have questions, people want to reach out, uh, I'm on pretty much every social media platform as at Justin M, like Mike M Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S. So uh, love for people to check out the report and always happy to have a conversation. Anybody who's, you know, dealing or tackling any of the problems we talked about today or, you know, really anything having to do with, with contact center leadership. Well, perfect. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your expertise. It sounds like you've done the hours and hours of research people are looking for. So cool. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on this week. Yeah, definitely. That's a wrap on today's episode of Unlocking Customer Service. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or Google Play to get notifications when new episodes drop each week. Or head to sharpencx.com slash podcast to catch up on all the latest episodes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review so we can reach more people like you.